really great to be uh, with this family this morning. Uh, and so we really love, we've been looking forward to this and church, we lead a church called Living Stones Agency. They've been praying for this and we planted LSA as we call, you know, Living Stones Agency, they're really named out of First uh, Peter chapter 2 as living stones gathering around the living stone, Jesus Christ. We are being built into a house. Um, and we planted the church back in 2001. I was a lot younger, a lot more handsome as Zamo would. <laughs> and Zamo thinks I'm getting more and more handsome. They, 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 you know, and that's a good thing. So uh, this, was, this was 2001. And uh, I don't know what I, I, you know, I knew what I was doing then. But, you know, Jesus is gracious. And we've been leading this church for over 20 years. And along the way, God started giving us, an, you know, a revelation of the church as in the body of Christ, the bigger, the universal church. Um, and we've landed with something that we call kingdom humanity out of that. And that's really is our missional space, if you like. Uh, we felt this commission from the Lord to go to the church and to churches um, like we're doing this morning. And it's, it's beautiful when, you know, Bev said, come and teach us about kingdom humanity. We felt this call to go to church and to churches and to teach on kingdom humanity. In, a, in very simple terms, um, kingdom humanity, we are imagining human life in the context of the kingdom of God. Um, outside of the context of the brokenness of the world. You and I get born into the world. We are very familiar with the surrounding culture and the brokenness. Some of the stuff that we research, that's become the statistics, whether in the areas of marriage, of family, or how kids are raised, of men. And it's great that there's a men's camp coming. You know, men need a lot of attention. Uh, <laughs> if you can fix men, you can fix society. <laughs> So there's all this brokenness in which we get born in, uh, you know, in this world. And, and God then starts talking about kingdom humanity. And that's God challenging us to, touch, to start to think about humanity within the context of the kingdom of God. And that's not a strange thing because actually we were created, Genesis chapter 1, humans were created in the context of the kingdom. And so when we come to Christ... Uh, and that phrase, in Christ, I think, you know, Bevan was talking about that, that um, you know, that, that last song that you played there. And I was thinking about the whole phrase in the Bible, in Christ, meaning Christ is my defined sphere, um, is my sphere of, of existence. I live in South Africa. I'm a South African citizen, but my defining context is Christ. He conditions how I think, how I see reality, how I see the world around me. Uh, I think it was a scripture that you read, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If a man is in Christ, Christ is my, defined, uh, my defining sphere of existence. Uh, he conditions. So Christ is not just a ticket to be part of a church to walk into this building. He defines how I live on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, how I am at home, in my bedroom, or at the kitchen. He defines everything about my existence, my humanity. He's not just a ticket for me to enter into church. He, he's, he's, he defines my very context of existence. And that's the idea of kingdom humanities. We need to begin to 
imagine what humanity looks like in the kingdom of God. How many of us know that Jesus did not die so that you and I would just have a weekly meeting? He died to impart to us and to give us a humanity, to restore our humanity back to the image of God. And, and that's the whole idea of kingdom humanity. Now, as we get into this, it's also important for us to be aware that the faith challenges of the present and future age are not going to be taking place within the devotional space like this Sunday morning. And I know that we can have lots of problems as church and we try to love one another. We, <laughs> we, we, we try to not step onto each other's toes and stuff like that. But the faith challenges of the present and future age are not going to be taking place within the Sunday morning space. They are taking place, number one, within the context of your humanity. The world more and more is challenging. What is your understanding of you? And if that's not true of us, at least it's very true of this boy walking down the aisle. It's true of our children, of our sons and daughters, that as they grow, more and more they have to think of Jesus, not in the context of Sunday morning. They have to think of Jesus in the context of the construct of their lives of their humanity. What am I? What is my gender? You know, how do I do marriage? How do I raise kids? So the first area of challenge in this present future age, more and more is within the context of our humanity. In other words, the world cares less about what you believe or who you believe. You can say, I believe in Jesus, but unless that translates into a humanity that expresses that belief, the world is really not concerned. The world is not concerned about how many churches are gathered this Sunday morning. South Africa cares less about how many people are gathered this Sunday morning. What South Africa cares about is what happens in the streets, in the workspace, in our families, how we raise our kids. And so the areas of the, the first area of challenge is going to be within the construct of your humanity. The second area of faith challenge in the present future age is going to be within the areas of space, of spatial life, in the areas of justice, of how we coexist, you know, in the issues of, 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 of tribalism, of racism, and all these things that, that we keep seeing in the world out there of tribalism, of whatever isms we can think of. And so the first area of faith challenge is in the area of your humanity, how do you understand your own construct? The world more and more is coming to define you. The second area of challenge is within the context of space and a spatial life. What does the Bible say? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's a second command in the commandments of Moses, which are very much quoted in the New Covenant in the New Testament. The first one being love God Love God, love the Lord with all your heart. And the second one is love your neighbors, you love yourself. Presupposes that you and I exist in space with somebody. And therefore that we are responsible for their well-being. That we cannot, and the, and the parable that Jesus quotes for us or refers to is the parable of the good Samaritan. It's a parable of good citizenship. That parable is meant to tell us that we are responsible for the well-being of somebody. That you and I can't just get into our car and move from our home to our business office and back to the, to the home. That we are responsible for the conditions around us. 
that we have to take responsibility for spatial conditions. And so more and more, the, challenge, the faith challenges coming from the world and from the spirit realm have to do with the, the demonic realm wanting to define your humanity and the demonic realm challenging you and I around spatial life. It is in that context that we talk about kingdom humanity. Because we see this prophetic picture in the, new, uh, you know, in, the, in the book of Revelation of John the Revelator talking about um, in Revelation chapter 21 verse 2. We can read that if you have your Bibles. Let's read that uh, actually. In Revelation chapter 21 verse 2. Because it gives us a picture of what is God's response to the faith challenges of our times. It says here that then I, John, saw the holy city, the new, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, we can read the book of Revelation from many different angles, and from an eschatological, it is an eschatological book in the sense that we're talking about the issues of the end, but really the book of Revelation begins in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the uncovering of who Christ is. And so, in the book of Revelation, we're opening the curtain for us to see who Christ is, and in seeing who Christ is, we see who the bride is. And the picture of the bride in this chapter, in Revelation chapter 21, is one in which the bride is defined as a city, prepared as a bride. A church is defined as a city, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Now, that's very important, and the word prepared means to make ready. It, it, it speaks almost of a preparing a people for a future implication. So the way that we have to be building co-church is that there is a future condition for which we are building this church. It's like Noah preparing for the flood. You know, like you build the ark long before the flood comes. It's like almost like the pandemic found us unprepared as church. And so next time we've got to get this thing right. We were unprepared theologically, unprepared structurally, how to be in a time when we can't gather on Sunday morning. So preparing, and then it says the bride was adorned. And that word adorn is, in one sense, the ladies will understand this word. is the word from which you get the English word cosmetics. And so, you know, ladies, not so much us men. You stand in front of mirror. You know, I was watching my wife this morning. And, you know, she's standing in front of her mirror. And I'm like, let me not disturb her right now. I find a way to, to, you know, for her to do her thing. But here's the thing, ladies. We are preparing ourselves. We are preparing ourselves for the context to which we are going. We are making ourselves ready. It's a word cosmeo, uh, from which we get the word cosmos. This word also means orderly arrangement. God created the world. God created the cosmos, not just the earth and the trees and the seas. He arranged, he created an arrangement in which you and I are to exist. So marriage is an arrangement. Friendship is an arrangement. This community is an arrangement. And so the response of the Lord to the faith challenges coming from the world is to equip us, in other words, to adorn us, to beautify us with the humanity of Jesus Christ. The more the world is challenging our humanity is the more we have to be prepared by the humanity 
of Jesus Christ. I'm going to throw to us another scripture that we can read. Beautiful scripture when Paul is writing to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, it says this. In Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24, I'm going to read it first. Then you put, uh, that you put off, I'm reading from the NIV, uh, New King James, sorry. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, let's put the scripture in context. Paul is writing this um, this letter to saved, spirit-filled, tongue-talking believers in Ephesus. These are people already walking with Jesus, and he is exhorting them to put off what he calls the old man. The proper translation of that word would be the word the old humanity. The old humanity. The word in the Greek is the word anthropos, from which we get the English word anthropology. The study of humanity. So Paul is saying, put off the old humanity. And then he says, put on the new man, the new humanity. Put off the old humanity. And so in Paul's mind, in Paul's theological understanding of God, there's something that he calls the old humanity and the new humanity. Here's how the, the message translation puts it. The same verse says, since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, con uh, connected with the old way of life. It calls it the old way of life. Has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life. Then it says it's a God-fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. It's a beautiful scripture that written, it's an exhortation to a church like us, like, like co-church, like Living Stones Agency. Paul will be writing this to us. He says, there is a humanity in the construct of South Africa that you and I need to put off. And the, the idea, the analogy is one of dressing, of putting on your clothes. It's like you get deliberate, like the way you look today was a very deliberate choice. You wanted to look the way you, you are, and hopefully you look great. <laughs> you have to put off, and then you have to put on this new garment that is unlike the construct of South Africa. Now, there are many constructs. There are many contexts that seek to define you and I. It's your nationality. It's your race. Now, um, uh, you know, we all, you know, you know most of us, probably most, all of us are South Africans here, born here, probably. They, that's a construct. There's a way South Africa thinks. You know, um, I like to travel because I feel like South Africa is like a dome. You come out of the dome, it's like, that place is such a dome. And maybe, <laughs> let me not say a bad word here. <laughs> it's like a, a very confining space. We've been shaped by the, by the laws and the policies of, of the government, all these sort of things. And so, nationality is a construct. But not only is nationality a construct, your race is a construct. And so the world would say, I'm black even though I look brown. And that's a construct. 
I think it will say Bevan is white, even though he does not look like, he looks a little uh, peach and... <laughs> and these, these race uh, definitions are constructs. When Manus, my son, is born as a black male, he's falling into a construct. He may grow, as he becomes 16, he thinks he's clever and intelligent, he's understanding. No, no, there's a pre-established construct he's falling into. My, jo my job as a father is, okay, you, you have to make sure that you're not stepping in. Don't follow that trail. Paul says we follow the we preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus. And that word unsearchable in Ephesians 3 talks about um, there was a trail. There was a, a trail of footsteps that, that's been erased. And our job and Bevan's job is to rediscover where Jesus walked. And help the church follow that same trail. The unsearchable riches. So put off the old human construct so now our salvation is not just I stop doing bad things and I'm now trying to do good things. It's not that. Salvation is I literally put off the old human construct with both its good and bad stuff. And I'm putting on the new, a new garment of Jesus. That new humanity is what we call kingdom humanity. It's what we call kingdom humanity. It's a journey into put on the new man, the new humanity, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Not a form of righteousness. Not the, the, the cultural, um, uh, socialized humanity of South Africa. We are South Africans and we are meant to reach out to South Africa. And, and God uses that. Was to, you know, to the Jew, I become like a Jew. That's what Paul says. But actually, it's, you know, our essence, essentially, we are kingdom, and we carry a kingdom humanity, and God uses how we look because he wants us to, to reach out to the people that look like us, but to show them that there's a better way. So kingdom humanity is this revelation that church is being adorned with the humanity of Jesus Christ at this point in time. This is like a move back, a movement back to the creation mandate, where how God created us in Genesis 1, 26, that he created us in the image of God. And so when we track in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, God creates us in the image of God. Chapter 2 creates us male and female in the, in the image of God. And, and when we fall in chapter 3, uh, by, chapter, by chapter 6, um, God, God is sorry that he made us. Here's the thing. The creation, in the creation mandate, our job is to humanize the image of God. The purpose of man is to humanize the image of the divine being, of Jehovah, is to humanize. And therefore, in the redemption mandate, in Christ, we are saved to humanize, or if you want to use a different word, to incarnate the image of God. And, and I say this, that um, basically, out of church, we together express the image of Jesus and what we actually do is that we, we give Jesus a demographic profile based on who we are. So if I'm a black South African, Jesus would look like me. If Bevan was a white South African male, Jesus had to look like him. We give Jesus a demographic profile. So in other words, it's not about, it's not about my blackness 
or Bevan's whiteness. It's about the common humanity that has to be contextualized within a, within a condition, within a construct of life. And that's really is our, that really is, is, is our job here, is our mission. So in other words, the more I don't transform is the more I rob Jesus of a demographic profile within my space. We are called to give him a demographic profile, to humanize him. But we can't humanize Jesus if we're not crucified with Jesus. We need to be crucified with Jesus to humanize Jesus. What does Paul says in, say in, in Galatians 2 verse 20? He says this amazing scripture written to the Galatians. And Paul is really, in a sense, talking about himself, but by association and by extension talking to all of us. He says this, Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I no longer live. What does it look like for Robert? I no longer live. That means there is the cancellation of, of my history, of, of what I used to have as an earthly profile upon which I stood. And, and I, can, I can tell you what that looks like as a black man, as a black man in the world, and as a black man in South Africa, with, with, the, with the context of history. And, and, um, and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I, have, I, have, I am born, I have inherited a moral authority because of what my forefathers went through. It, it gives me a, a moral authority. When I speak, people have to listen. But Jesus strips me of that. He says, yeah, I no longer live. So Jesus says, well, Robert, we can do better. I can actually, I understand you have a, a, your, 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 the, your mission of your blackness. So I have a moral authority I've inherited because of what my forefathers went through. But that moral authority is not necessarily based on my character. That's the problem. Right? So Jesus says, well, we can do it better than that, Robert. I can give you a moral authority that is based on salvation and a journey of transformation. And I said, well, I will give you and I will trade what history has given me as a black South African. And I say, like Paul in Philippians 3, it is rubbish. It is, it is, it is, it is rubbish. That's what Paul says, right? It is rubbish. I will take what is Christ and I choose to live for the mission that is Christ. But equally, Bevan should do the same thing. He should look at what the earth has given him as a white male and, 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 and the areas of privilege and say, well, I can give you Christ this. Let's trade. I take what is Christ. And so therefore, Reconciliation, what reconciliation is, biblical reconciliation is not two people sitting across the table and saying sorry to each other about the history. Biblical transformation is, a, a, is, is two people engaging in a mutual process of transformation in Jesus Christ. That's literally how it's defined. So if I let Christ strips me off my moral authority that comes, that comes out of history and Bevan lets Christ you know, take off his white privilege and we all allow Christ to transform us. That's what reconciliation, that's how reconciliation happens. In other words, we find each other only in Christ. 
we then begin to see each other. When we begin to walk in that common humanity that we have in Christ. But we both need to be crucified. And so the issue, the crisis of Christianity is that we have a lot more people celebrating what the cross has done for them and a few people standing with Jesus to be crucified with Jesus before the world. So salvation is not meant to just be that we celebrate Jesus. And yes, we do. We're thankful for what Jesus has done. He's died for us. But more than 2,000 years later, there has to be more crosses around the cross of Jesus. And my cross needs to be there. Your cross needs to be there. We have to be crucified. And crucifixion is not dying for something you've done. Crucifixion is to let the process of life kill you for something you have not really done. Because Jesus was without sin, right? And he chose to die for us. And so Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body. As a black male South African, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have to be crucified with Christ in order to humanize Christ. Crucified with Christ in order to humanize Christ. The, the one last thought I want to drop um, and I want to impart into us inside of the journey of kingdom humanity is that kingdom humanity really says to us, we've got to have to be expressing the faith in three domains of life. Express faith in three domains of life. One is express a faith or salvation or Jesus or kingdom, whatever you want to call it, in your devotional domain, like in your faith and like what we're doing this morning, worshiping Jesus, the quality of our priestly life, love the Lord your God. So we've got to show Jesus and our love for Jesus in our devotional life. That's what kingdom humanity says. But the second area of our domain in which we have to show our faith is in the domain of our humanness. Our identity, our behavior, and our character. The Bible says, be holy because I'm holy. God, when God says be holy, it's not an abstract concept. That's basically God saying, well, we've got to resemble my qualities in, through your humanity. If God is love, be a loving person. Don't be okay with not being loving. Don't say, well, my uncle was not loving, so I have a gene. It's a DNA strand in the family. <laughs> so when God says, be holy, he says, you've got to look like me, Robert. In how you show up. The word conduct in the Bible is the word how you show up in life. And you leave a trail in how you show up in life. So if if you have to imagine your last week and how you've showed up at work, before your spouse, your, sp your children, um, your friends, your conduct, does it reflect Christ or it reflects you? So devotion, our humanness, and the third domain in which we have to ex express our faith is in the area of citizenship. In the spatial life, in how we conduct the spaces of life. 
And, and, and I think that, and so in that context, we talk about kingdom citizenship. And Paul taught a lot about, uh, you know, kingdom citizenship. You know, um, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 19, we are fellow citizens. We're not just fellow believers. We are fellow citizens, Ephesians 2. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Philippians 1, 27, talks about citizenship there as well. So our faith has got to show up in how we manage the spaces of life as well. The spaces of life. So the domains in which you and I need to be expressing our faith is in the domain of devotion, in the domain of humanness, and in the domain of citizenship. So I believe that God is empowering us. Uh, God is, is coming for his church, is adorning his church, beautifying his church with the humanity of Jesus. Inside of this time when there is such a challenge from the world in the areas of our humanity, but also in the area of spatial life. The world is grappling with issues of justice. There's wars and all of these are spatial issues, territorial issues, tribalism, whatever issue that we can think of. And God is coming and saying, well, I can, I, can, I can beautify my church because the church of Jesus Christ is a solution to all that we see.